Good evening all. Can you hear me all right? Good, excellent. Well, oh, sorry. It's an, it's an absolute joy to be with everybody this evening. Oh, forget about the mask. <laughs> it's an absolute joy to be every, uh, with everyone this evening uh, and to be bringing you uh, the Bible study tonight. Uh, you must please forgive me if I sound a little anxious. I've, it's been a while since I've presented in public. Uh, but I'm really comforted to know I've got this protective screen around me. So if you guys don't like what you hear, the rotten tomatoes will not be heading my way. Um, but I'm, I know I'm surrounded by um, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm sure you guys will wait until I get outside before pelting me with rotten tomatoes. <laughs> but anyhow, in all seriousness, uh, my goal tonight is really that, you know, God gets all the glory, uh, that we are edified by His Word. And as Pastor Gareth always reminds us, you know, that we don't only become hearers of his word, but that we become doers as well. Okay. So tonight we'll be studying Psalm 113, um, uh, which can be found in your Bibles or hopefully on the screen. Pedro will be bringing it up. So the psalmist asked the question in the heading, Who is like the Lord our God? So I'll begin. Verse number one. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you praise, honor and glory this evening for us been able to gather here, Lord. We just want to thank you that we have this opportunity, Lord, to share your word, Father. And we just pray that your spirit help us to interpret this text, Lord, so that we uh, may do it justice, Father, and that we not only hear your word, Lord, that we actually put it into action. May it transform our lives, Father. Just pray that the meditations of my heart uh, be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. Amen. So last week, uh, we can clearly see the theme of Brother Pedro's message was the theme of unity. But this week, the theme we can clearly see is the theme of praise, which is more specifically to praise the Lord. We should always praise God because He is great and He is gracious. Praise is one of the major themes throughout the book of Psalms. And interestingly, the book of Psalms concludes with the five poems to praise the, um, the God of Israel. Each poem begins and ends with the word Hallelujah, which is the Hebrew for a command to tell a group of people to praise Yah, which is short for the divine name Yahweh. The psalm we can see Psalm 113 is divided into two major sections. Firstly, 
the psalmist is calling the reader to praise. And this we can see in verses 1 to 3. Secondly, he's showing the cause of our praise. And this we can see in verses 4 to 9. And the second section is also further subdivided into two parts. And part A, which is God is great or transcendent, and B, because he is gracious, which is verses 6 to 9. However, our focus this evening is really going to be on the cause of our praise, which is verses 4 to 6. So I'll just repeat that briefly. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens below? On the heavens and the earth. However, in order for us to really look at the details of the passage, we just need to have a, a wider perspective first. So we're going to do a wider perspective and narrow in on the passage or the message that the psalmist is trying to convey. Now we know the book of Psalms contains a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew poems, songs, prayers, which is written over different uh, periods of Israel's history, approximately over 900 years. Now, there were many different authors that wrote them, namely King David, who was considered a poet and a harp player, uh, Asaph, the sons of Korah, and various worship leaders like Haman and Ethan, and of course Moses and Solomon were also attributed a few poems. But interestingly, about a third of the Psalms that were written were anonymous. We simply don't know who wrote them. And of course, tonight is one of those Psalms. Now, the 150 canonical psalms is divided into five larger sections or books, which appeals to the Jewish tradition and echoes the Pentateuch, which is the five books of Moses. Now, interestingly, each book ends with a doxology, which goes something like this. May the Lord, the God of Israel, be blessed forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, in order to gain a rich understanding of the significance of Psalm 113, we need to really put it into context. So, as I said, there are five books, and Psalm 113 is found in Book 5, where we see a series of poems which affirms that God hears the cries of his people, and he will one day send a future king to conquer evil and bring about his kingdom. Now, book five contains two major sections. First of all, we see the Halal, which is Psalms 113 to 118, and of course, the Song of Ascents, which is 120 to 136. Now, each of these sections concludes with a poem about the future Messianic kingdom. Now, the two sections together, the Song of Ascents and the Halal, sustain the hope of the people as God redeems his people. We see Psalm 113 form part of what they call the Egyptian halal. The halal means to praise El, in other words, to praise God. El is God in Hebrew. These were sung at the festivals, namely Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles, but had great significance at the Passover which celebrated the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, which we know is in Exodus chapter 12 to 14. Now the Jews sang 
the first two Psalms, 113 and 114, before the Passover meal, and then the other four were sung afterwards. So these were probably the songs that Jesus sang and his disciples, they sang in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, which we see in Matthew 26, 30. So let's just focus on the psalm in a bit more detail. It is certainly a psalm that asserts the greatness of God. And I'll repeat again our, uh, our verses. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the earth, on the heavens and the earth? So I think it would be safe to say that many of the problems that a Christian faces stems from the fact that we tend to minimize God and we tend to put him in a very small box. We need to really take a focus on the biblical perspective of God for he is our almighty creator of the universe and he governs it by his sovereign will and power. He alone is great. I like the way Stephen J. Cole, who is a retired pastor from the U.S., tells us that we would rightly fear to draw near to him because God is mighty and we are weak. He is holy and we are sinful. He knows everything and we don't know everything. And of course, he is eternal. He is not subject to death and we are time bound and we are vulnerable to accidents and disease. But thankfully, the psalm also shows us the gracious side of God. Because we see in verses 7 to 9, the psalmist says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. So we see the first part of the psalm is clearly a call to praise the Lord. But notice how the word in the first part of the three verses, the word praise is repeated and the word Lord is repeated. So we know when we see repetition, we need to take note. It is there for emphasis. This is a command to praise the Lord. And it says, praise the name of the Lord, which represents all his attributes, his character and his reputation. Now, who is to praise the Lord? So let's look. The psalmist clearly tells us, O servants of the Lord. So in order, um, uh, these are all the people who are redeemed, all the people who serve God with obedience. So that includes you and I, brothers and sisters, all those who confess Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. We are called to praise the name of the Lord. So when are we to do this? So again, the psalmist tells us in verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the rising of the sun, sorry, from this time forth, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So he's telling us praise is to be rendered always, from the first moment we wake up in the morning to our last waking moments before we go to sleep and Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verses 19 to 20 he says to us we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord 
with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just want us to pause this, pause there for a moment. Now it is our duty as believers to praise the name of the Lord, but this cannot just be a mere act of duty. Look what John Piper says. He tells us that praising and worshipping God is a way of reflecting back to God the radiance of His worth. It can only be done when the affections arise in the heart. It is a heart attitude. Now John Piper makes an analogy of a wedding anniversary. Now I need you all just to use your imaginations now because you're really going to have to do this. Say I bring a dozen long stem roses for Irma on our anniversary. And she meets me at the door and I hold out the roses to her. And she says to me, oh, thank you, Robert, and gives me a big hug. And then I say, don't mention it, my darling. It is my duty. Well, what do you think Irma's going to do with those bunch of roses? Okay, don't answer that question just yet, okay? Now you see, the point I'm trying to make is dutiful roses are really a contradiction in terms, okay? If I am not moved by spontaneous affections to bring roses for my lovely beloved wife, uh, the roses do not honor her, they belittle her. So the same goes for worship, isn't it? How shall we honor God in our worship? By saying it is our duty to honor God or by saying it is my joy? John Piper reminds us in his book, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. The second part of the psalm shows us the cause for praising God. Now, because, again, he is great and he is gracious. Firstly, we are to praise him because he is great. Now, this mimics what Isaiah tells us in chapters 40 and 41. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to go through the entire chapters, but I just want to give you a snippet of Isaiah 40. I'll be reading verse 18 and then verses 21 to 26. So Isaiah 40, 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? Again, jumping to verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? Who bring, he who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So let's just compare those two and we look at our psalm again. We think about this for a moment. 
The psalmist paints us a picture of the heavens. And again, I just want to refer back to Stephen J. Cole. He tells us that if you could travel at the speed of light, which is approximately 3 million meters per second, it would take you about 8 minutes to get to the sun. So it would take you 33,000 years to get to the center of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Now the Milky Way belongs to a group of some 20 galaxies known as the local group. Now to cross the local group, you would have to travel for 2 million years. The local group belongs to a vast Virgo cluster, part of even a larger super, a local supercluster, which is 500 million light years across. So to cross the entire universe as we know it at the speed of light will take about 20 billion years. And think about that. God's glory is above all of that. Now that really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? When the psalmist says that God is enthroned on high, it points to his sovereignty. He rules over the entirety of his creation. Nothing happens apart from his sovereign will and permission. And the psalmist says again, praise God because he is great. But if God were only great, we would cringe in fear and hesitate to approach him. So the psalmist again affirms that we are to praise God because he is gracious, which we see in verses 6 to 9. But in verse 5, let's take a closer look. He says, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? So really a rhetorical type of question. Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, it is the challenge that will never be answered. None can be compared with him for an instant. Israel's God is without parallel. Um, our own God in covenant stands alone and none can be likened unto him. But now let's have a look at what the psalmist says in verse 6. Who looks far down the heavens and the earth. Another question. But the NIV version puts it like this. Who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. So in appearance, God must figuratively stoop down in the faraway heavens to examine the earth. You see, we have a God who is high above all gods, and yet who is our Father, knowing what we need before we even ask Him. He is our shepherd who supplies all our needs. He is our guardian. He even knows the hairs on our heads. He is our tender and considerate friend who sympathizes with all our griefs. Truly, the name of our God should be praised wherever it is known. But if we look at it, we can see in a far greater way Christ stooped down in the incarnation. The Bible tells us that Jesus is completely human and completely God. Matthew and Mark tells the story of the angel coming to a young Virgin Mary and telling her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is in Luke chapter 1. And of course, John's Gospel begins with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then in verse 14, following that, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now this is important to note because if Jesus was not divine, just and he was just like any other man, just like us in our sinfulness, there was no way he would be able to save us. Similarly, it was critical that Jesus be truly like one of us, so that he could represent us before our Heavenly Father. As Hebrew, four, uh, Hebrew chapter 4 verses 14 reminds us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And if we look in uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11, then Paul tells us here, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So brothers and sisters, we need to praise God for his graciousness, for initiating the plan of sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. For without it we would be dead, we would be condemned to death, and a death that we rightly deserve. So I just want to briefly touch on verses 7 to 9, where the psalm concludes, and he says, we are to praise God for his grace. The psalm, the psalmist shows us that he frequently lifts the lowest of mankind out of their poverty and their degradation, and places them in positions of power and honor. Charles Spurgeon tells us, the glorious Lord displays his condescending grace in regarding those who are despised on account of their barrenness, whether it be of body or of soul. We can look at Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, and others were all instances of the miraculous power of God in literally fulfilling the statement of the psalmist. Women were not supposed to have a house until they had children. But in certain cases where the childless woman pined in secret to the Lord, the Lord visited them in mercy and made them not only to have a house, but to keep it as well. So if you are poor and helpless, please call upon the great God to be gracious to you. So in conclusion, we can see that this psalm is full of application to our lives, brothers and sisters. If I'm honest with myself, there are many times in my life when I struggle to praise the Lord, particularly in these last few weeks that have been pretty challenging for me. My heart has been aching and I've struggled with my health. But one thing I was certain of was certainly the presence of God in my life. The psalm has really taught me that we need to praise the Lord in the good times and in the bad times. The psalmist poses the question to us, who is like the Lord our God? No one. He alone is great, but also he is gracious to those 
who are poor and who are helpless. His greatness and His grace are seen because He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the sinful world. We need to cry out to Him to fill us with joy. In our weakness, let us rely on His strength. We are to praise His name from this time and forevermore. Amen. So let us just go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word, Lord. We just want to thank you for this psalm that is rich in application for our lives, Lord. We just pray that these words will penetrate our hearts, Father, so that we may become not only hearers of your word, but doers as well, Lord. And we just thank you, we praise you, we honor you, Father, and we love you. And may this be all for your glory and not for our glory. We just ask this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.